Hebrew Christians were young. They were second-generation Christians. They were not alive. They didn't, they didn't see the Lord Jesus, but they knew people who did see the Lord Jesus. Uh, they were young in the faith, and God comes to them early in this epistle with a message about wonders and warnings. I see three things in our text that I want to share with you tonight. There is a mention of a glorious Savior. There is a reference to a great salvation, and there is a caution about a grievous slipping. Verse 2, or verse 1 of chapter 2 says, therefore. That word therefore means because of what has already been said, because of chapter 1. Now chapter 1 tells us about a glorious Savior. The Bible says, God who at sundry times and in divers manners, one one of Hebrews, spake in time, passed unto the fathers by his prophets, hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, by whom he made the world. And we are told that our Savior is glorious because he started everything. The Bible says in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything thing made that was made. Our Savior created the entire universe by the word of his mouth. Now, some people have trouble with that. Some people think it, that's just kind of a, a rather oh, infantile and uh, uneducated and uncultured to believe in creation. They believe in evolution. They believe in a Big Bang or a gradual evolution. Uh, uh, do you know who Francis Crick is? Anyone know Francis Crick? Francis Crick, along with Benjamin Watson, discovered DNA. Something like dinonucleic ribellic acid. There's some more syllables in there than that. The building block of life. Over 50 years ago, they won the Nobel Prize for Science for their discovery. All of the genetic engineering that you hear about and all of the things being done with some of the vaccines uh, go back to that discovery of DNA. And as Watson looked at how intricate life was and how detailed it was and how little changes would have led us to an entirely different kind of world, he said there is no way that could have just happened. So Dr. Watson began to believe that life on earth was brought here from another planet. I'm sorry, uh, Crick. Uh, not, not Watson Crick, Francis Crick. And uh, I never got to speak to Dr. Crick. But if I had, I would have asked him a question. I would have said, well, that's interesting. You believe life on earth came here from another planet. Where did the life on that planet come from? You've got to go back somewhere. And you know what? The Bible goes back to God, and it said our Savior started everything. Not only that, it says that He is the same as God. Verse 3 of chapter 1, being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things by the word of His power. He is the express image of His person. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Every cult goes wrong on the deity of Christ. The Lord Jesus is not like God. He's not close to God. He is not similar to God. He is God. 
He said, I and the Father are one. The Jews said, what are you doing talking about Abraham? You're not even 50 years old. And the Lord Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. And they knew that's the name of God. And they picked up stones to stone them because our Savior clearly said to them, I am God. Our Savior's glorious. He's the creator of all that is. He started everything. He's the same as God. He's superior to the angels in verse 4, being made so much better than the angels. In fact, the book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is better than everything. Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than the priests. Jesus is better than the sacrifices. Jesus is a better covenant. We have the greatest, most glorious, most wonderful Savior in the world. He is superior to everything and anything that could exist. Not only that, he sustains all things. The Bible says at the end of verse 3 that he upholds all things by the word of his power. That's interesting. You know, sometimes we're a little too hard on science. Give science a chance. Every once in a while, they'll catch up with the Bible. The old man used to think scientists thought the earth was flat. The idea of a sphere that you were on and didn't fall off couldn't be comprehended back in those days. But you know what the Bible said? The Bible said, it is he that sitteth on the circle of the earth. Uh, people used to believe the earth had to rest on something. The idea of a gravitational pull holding a planet in space was beyond their comprehension. Uh, and yet the Bible said, way back in the book of Job, he hangeth the earth upon nothing. Man used to think they could count the stars. I read in Jeremiah last night says the host of the heavens cannot be numbered. But Ptolemy thought there was 1,011 and Brahe thought there was 700, Kepler thought there was 777. And then somebody invented the telescope. And the bigger the telescope, the more stars they find. Now they not only cannot tell you how many stars are in our galaxy, the Milky Way, they don't even know how many galaxies there are. Every once in a while, science catches up with the Bible. Uh, we discovered maybe 10 years ago, I read about this, that in the atom, there's not just the proton and the neutron and the electron. There's another element of the atom. They call it the Higgs boson particle. You can look it up. The Higgs boson particle, they say, holds the rest of the atom together. You know what they nicknamed it? They call it the God particle. You could read the book of Colossians, found out the same thing about our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. If our Lord stopped exercising His divine power for one moment, the sun would burn out in its socket. The planets would cease to rotate. The universe would crash and implode into oblivion. Everything that is, is sustained by our Savior, Jesus Christ. And he's a glorious Savior because he stays. Verse 10, Thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thy hands. Verse 11, They shall perish, but thou remainest. They all shall wax old as a garment and as a vesture. Thou shalt fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years fail not. I want to tell you something. Before the world began, Jesus is, Jesus was, Jesus always will be. Did you know there was a time when there was no time? There will be a time when time is no more, but there never was a time there was no God. God has put himself in time in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. But time is in God, and the Lord Jesus is from everlasting to everlasting. 
What a glorious Savior we have. I love to read the Gospels. He astonishes the priests and scribes in the temple of the age of 12 with his wisdom. He amazes his followers by giving a blind man sight. He alarms the religious leaders as people begin to follow him instead of them. He astounds his critics when they say, you can't raise that. You can't help that little girl. She's already dead. And he said, oh, no, she's not dead. She's just asleep. And he took her by the hand and said, to leave the kumai damsel arise. And that little young lady about 12 begun to live again. He blasted the hypocrites, called them whited sepulchers. He bewildered his accusers with questions they could not answer. He stood bereaved outside the tomb of Lazarus and wept because his friend was dead. And then he said, uh, uh, roll the stone away. Lord, he's been dead three days. His body will sink. Roll the stone away. And he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead. I love that. Death is never spoken of in our society in the past tense. If you said, Brother Willett, is your father still living? I'd say, well, he was dead. Hadn't checked recently. The last I checked, he was, no, I wouldn't say that. I'd say he is dead. He went to heaven November 4th, 2018. Ah, but when the Lord Jesus comes along, death passes into life and goes into the past tense. And he that was dead stood before them, alive, still bound in the grave clothes. He confronted the double standard of those who brought a woman taken in adultery and didn't bring a man. He showed compassion on multitudes. He cleansed lepers. He controlled the elements. And the disciples said, what manner of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. He destroyed the arguments of the Pharisees. He delivered a maniac of Gadara. He defended little children and said, let them come unto me. He distributed loaves and fishes to 5,000 people out of two fish and five little loaves of bread. His followers love him. The Spirit led him. Judas left him. The foes loathe him. We adore him. The world abhors him. They want to abolish him, but they can't avoid him. Our dating system, A.D., Anno Domino, it stands for the year of the Lord, and the entire world celebrates His birth. I'm glad I have a Savior named Jesus. He's unchangeable. He's unequaled. He's unstoppable. His presence is unavoidable. We preach in His name. We pray in His name. We present ourselves in His name. We proclaim His name to a lost and dying world, and we labor with a limited vocabulary and a weak mind to find expressions to adequately tell of the glory and the wonder of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus. Oh, how sweet the name. All hail the power of Jesus' name. There is a name I love to hear. I love to sing its worth. It sounds like music in my ear, the sweetest name on earth. Oh, how I love Jesus because he first loved me. What a glorious Savior we have. And then the Bible says we have a great salvation. It's great in its extent. How should we escape if we neglect so great? A man may say to his wife, I love you so much. He didn't say, I love you, oh, $100,000 worth. He doesn't say, I love you a million dollars worth. He just says, I love you so much. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God uses the word so to express the infinite. And it's like he says, I want you to know the salvation I've given you is so great in its extent. There's not a word in your vocabulary that could describe it. Could we with ink the ocean fill and with the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the 
scroll contained the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. O oh, love of God, how rich, how pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. What a great salvation, great in its extent, great in its expense. Somebody came to Gypsy Smith, the great evangelist, and said, I keep hearing about the gospel. Would you tell me the gospel? He explained the gospel to her. Told her that God had sent His only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, all God and all man, became man in Bethlehem's manger, lived this perfect life that we read about in the Scripture, raised the dead, healed the sick, gave blind, blind men their sight, cleansed lepers, preached the truth, and then allowed wicked men to crucify Him, bled, died, was buried, rose again the third day, and He'll give the, the life eternal to every person who believe in Him. And when, she, when He got done, the woman said, Is that all? Gypsy Smith got offended. He said, is that all? He said, Madam, God bankrupt heaven. He gave the best gift he had to give. Our Lord and Savior allowed wicked men to take a cat of nine tails, nine strands of leather interwoven with bits of glass and metal and blood and drag it across his back, raking through the flesh. He allowed them to take their fists and buffet his face and pluck out his beard until the Bible says his visage was marred more than any man. He didn't even look like a human being. He allowed them to take his body and nail it to a cross and pick up that cross and drop it with a bone-jarring, socket-wrenching thud into the hole prepared for it. And he hung there on the cross, not clothed in a loincloth as the artists appropriately depicted him. No, the Romans gave no measure of decency or dignity to their victims. He laid on that cross. He hung on that cross. And that wasn't the worst of it. No word came out of his mouth when the nails were pounded into his hands and feet, when the thorns were jabbed into his brow, when the whip was dragged across his back. But all of the sin of all mankind was placed on the back of our Savior. And for the first time in all of eternity, God the Father was separated from God the Son, and darkness covered the earth, and, and the words came from the mouth of our Savior, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I want you to know, no more valuable, no more wonderful, no more precious, no more expensive gift has ever been given in the history of the world than the gift of God's Son as our Savior. Great in its extent, great in its expense, great in its effect. The longer I live, the more impressed I am with the power of the gospel. I've told you my dad's story. I'll tell it briefly. On a bus, on the way back from visiting Columbia University after World War II, planning to go there and be a radio announcer, met two young men, and they said, oh, you got to go to our college. They had known him when he was a boy. Dad never went to church, maybe three, four times in his whole life. Never heard the gospel. And they were the only kids in his neighborhood that went to church but did not go to a Catholic church. They said, you ought to go to our college. Where do you go to college? We go to Bob Jones University. Just opened up in Greenville, South Carolina. Moved there from Cleveland, Tennessee. We've got a radio program. We've got a radio station. And they got his address. And they sent him some information. And their spirit impressed him. And my dad, almost on a whim, said, Well, I like the South. I went to uh, the South when I was in the service. I guess I'll go to that college in the South. And he got on a bus in January of 1949. Never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ one time in his life. And an old preacher named Bob Jones Sr., who had started the college, opened every semester in revival meetings. And he stood up and he said, young man, what if your mother knew everything you'd ever done? And said, oh, wouldn't want my mother to know everything I'd ever done. 
And then he said, God knows. And then he preached the gospel. And my dad said, that sounds like a good deal to me. And he would have told you to the day he died at the age of 91 that sitting in his seat in the road of Haver Auditorium in Greenville, South Carolina, he decided to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior. He walked down an aisle. He prayed a prayer. He formalized his decision. And that young man who'd never been in church but a few times in his life and never heard the gospel, never turned back and went on to pastor churches and run a rescue mission and serve as an evangelist and win thousands of people to Jesus Christ. And it's all because of the gospel. You know, a lot of this nonsense you hear about in the contemporary churches comes from a low view of the gospel. Yeah, we can't reach people unless we do certain kind of music. My friends, I'm not criticizing them, but they say, well, we do a survey, and, uh, and the main criticism we get is our music is boring. And I said to my friend who told me that, I said, that's not coming from unsaved people. That's coming from church-hopping, preacher-swapping Christians. You ever led anybody to Christ, and they say, well, what kind of music do they have at your church? They don't give a rip. They just know that you told them how they can have everlasting life in heaven. And you could come and chant the Lord's Prayer and sing the Gloria Patri. It wouldn't do them as much good as the wonderful music you have in your church. But they would come anyway because what changes people is not the rhythm. What changes people is not the melody. What changes people is not the harmony. What changes people is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't have to have a light show, and you don't have to mimic the world. By the way, you know why the contemporary church loses, according to MSNBC, not exactly a bastion of fundamentalism? You know why the contemporary church loses 96% of their young people? I'll tell you, part of it is because the world does rock and roll better than the church. But the world can't do Jesus better than the church. The world can't do the gospel better than the church. The world can't do how to raise your family and how to live a godly life and how to treat your friends and your enemies and manage your money better than you get from the Word of God. Oh, no, you don't need all that nonsense. You just need to tell somebody the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's great in its effect. And then... If I were designing this, I wouldn't have this third point. Too great, a glorious Savior, a great salvation. I'd probably end with some grand entry into heaven, grand eternity. But then the Bible talks about a grievous slipping. We ought to give the more earnest things heed to the things which you have heard listed any time we should let them. What's the next word? Slip. Slip. Verse 3, how shall we escape if we, what's the next word? Neglect. I want you to think about this grievous slipping. The first thing I want you to notice is it is passive. Slip. The word slip is a nautical term. I've not checked it out, but I wonder if the idea of calling a boat slip, the place that you put your boat on a dock, may not be connected to that word, but it has the idea of drifting. Anybody knows anything, and people who don't know much of anything about a boat know that when you take it into shore, you tie it up. Tie it to a dock, pull it up on the shore, tie it to a tree. You know why? Because otherwise it might slip away. The tide might rise, and it might drift out on the tide. The current of a river might take it away. It just slips. You see, 
you will either swim against the current of the river of life or you'll be carried away by it. But it's passive. Neglect is passive. Do you remember... I'm, I'm preaching, I'm sure, to a number of people who were reading your Bible faithfully. Probably, probably you're doing pretty good right now at the beginning of the year. Because you probably started last year pretty well and didn't get all the way through and didn't read every day like you intended to. Do you remember when you said, you know what, I'm making a decision today. I'm going to decide to stop reading my Bible every day. Do you remember that? No. Nobody decided they're not going to read their Bible anymore. It just slipped. You got tired, you went to bed, you said, I'll make it up the next day, and you did. It was easier the next time to go to bed without reading it, and that day you didn't make it up, but you got back on track, and you're only a day behind, and three days behind, and two weeks behind. Now more days you don't read the Bible than you do. You didn't decide to do that, you just let it slip. I'm the oldest of five. I have... Three sisters after me and then a brother born when I was 15. He was born in May and I left home in August. I was back some. And I I was quite amazed how much harder my parents had been on me than on my brother. They were older when he was born. In my house, you didn't say, I don't like any of your food. If you said, I don't like cauliflower, and my mother's cauliflower was horrible. (laughs) My mother was German, and the German method of cooking is to obliterate your food. I don't know if there's any vitamins left, but there's no flavor, there's no texture. My mother's cauliflower, you take a bite, and it would all disintegrate in your mouth into a thousand little pieces. It was terrible. Even cream cauliflower, they just made it worse. It was slippery and all broken up. But if I said, I don't like cauliflower, I immediately got another tablespoon of it on my plate, and I would not leave the table until I had eaten every bite. That's how it was. For me. (laughs) My brother? Man, they let him get away with stuff. And I remember as an 18-year-old, my brother three, 19-year-old, brother four, I remember saying, Mom and Dad, you wouldn't have let me get away with that. My brother's been married three times. Wives number two and three were expecting his child before he married them. Now, my parents didn't say, you know what, we're going to raise this one poorly. They didn't say, we'd like to raise a child who's going to be divorced twice, married three times, and twice conceive a child out of wedlock. They didn't say that. You know, they did, they just neglected some things. They were older. They were tired. He was the fifth of five children. They'd been through this four times already. By the way, I, don't, I probably shouldn't say this, but I say so many things I shouldn't say. In, in, in many of you in this church, you're fine to have five children because every fifth child born in the world is Chinese. I read that somewhere. But if other people stop at four because they don't answer questions, you understand that. It's just neglect. A preacher friend of mine told me a story that Brother Treber told. There was a lady in his church maybe 20 years ago, widow lady, 
And she had an old car, and she was having trouble with it. And she came to see Brother Treber and asked for his advice. And he looked at her budget, and he said, You know, ma'am, I think if we, if we get a smaller model with not, not too fancy, I think we could get you a brand-new car. And he went down to the dealer and negotiated a deal, got her a brand-new car, warranty, no worry about anything breaking down, should last her for years. And maybe... Three years later, so she came by and said, Preacher, I'm having awful trouble with my car. It hardly starts. Smoke comes out of it. It smells bad. And Brother Tree went to look at the car. She hadn't driven it all that many miles. Only had it about three years. Brand new when she got it. He said, Well, when did you last change the oil? She said, Oil? Does it have oil? I put gas in it. She didn't know you had to change the oil. And she took a beautiful car, a good car, a perfectly sound car, and she never bashed it with a sledgehammer. She never smashed it into a concrete wall. She never abused it. She just neglected it. See, backsliding is almost always gradual. It just starts with a little bit of slipping. Can I tell you one of the things I'm worried about, about this COVID nonsense? A lot of us are going to let things slip. You couldn't have church all the time. You had it online. My pastor said, now, now don't sit there in your pajamas and eat popcorn during church. And he'd have people sitting in pictures, and they'd be sitting there, someone with their ties on, and their Sunday best watching the church service. He asked us to do this. All right, I dressed up. Uh, I think there's only one or two times. I, I think Easter Sunday, I didn't go to church because we did everything on television. We got on four TV stations on Easter Sunday. But I would go to the church, even if there's only 20 or 30 people and they're just recording and live streaming. But when I, man, I, I did what the preacher said, sat there. And, but then we started having 11 o'clock services in, in May and uh, seven, 6 o'clock services. But we didn't have Sunday school for a while. Can I tell you something? I got to like going in at 11 instead of 10. That was nice. Man. And when they started Sunday school again, I'm hardly ever there, but when I was, I, I kind of thought, oh, yeah, i got to get up early tomorrow. I've gone to Sunday school my whole life. I'd never thought of skipping Sunday school. I would never have imagined not being there for the Sunday school hour. But after a while, I just neglected it. It wasn't my fault. didn't have any control over it. But it's so easy to get into a new pattern. And some of you used to be soul winning every week and you haven't passed out of tracting weeks. Some of you used to be so concerned about trying to get your neighbors to come to church and now you haven't bothered to invite anybody because of all the nonsense. You better be really careful because the Bible says we've got to give them more earnest heedless at any time. We let them slip. It's a passive slipping, but it's a perilous slipping. Oh, the Bible says that the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Do you think we're going to be better off than the others who have already been judged because of their neglect and because of their allowing things to sleep? You see, we don't imagine it's going to have any big consequence. It's just a little thing. We just let this little area go and that little area go and some other little area go. We started watching more television, and now we watch some things we wouldn't have watched six or eight 
eight months ago. We started hanging around with places on the Internet we wouldn't have hung around because we had extra time on our hands, and now we're kind of hooked into some stuff that we have no business being involved, and we didn't do it on purpose. It was passive. But, boy, it's perilous. Ulysses Garcia came to our church. Hair and a ponytail, wearing a leather motorcycle vest. Sat up in the balcony of our previous auditorium. Came real regular, and then after a while, he quit coming. I found out later it's because he thought you had to have a college degree to teach Sunday school in our church. Not true. We do not even have a literacy requirement. He started going to another church. He got active. He, he, he loved the Lord. He loved souls. One day the preacher came to his house. And he had a list of complaints. Best I can tell, Brother Ulysses had just had a lot of people like him and drawn to him and made the preacher nervous. Brother Ulysses said, Preacher, you just tell me what to do. I'll do whatever you say. How would you like that if you had a problem with somebody and they said that? And the preacher said, oh, no, you'll never darken the doors of this church again. And Ulysses didn't go to church anywhere. I uh, heard about it, so I started calling him. And I called him and called him every week for about a year and a half before he ever came back. Finally came back. He got in my Sunday school class. He, he got active. He started working in the bus ministry, taught one of our bus Sunday school classes. He started bringing lots and lots of people into church. You see, I want you to know this slipping is passive, it's perilous, but it does not have to be permanent. But Ulysses is in heaven now. He operated a dumpy little place in downtown Saginaw, hand-painted signs said Discount Service Center. He'd fix lawnmowers and motors. He'd go out on trash day and pick up people things, things people were throwing away and fix them and sell them. And one day he was there in his shop, and somebody came by and said, you know, our church just a couple blocks from your building. We're going to sell it. We're going to start meeting in a home. We're going to try to go contemporary. And maybe you'd like to buy it. It'll be $2,000 down and $200 a month. And Ulysses Garcia pulled $2,000 out of his pocket. This is not $2,000, but you can pretend. And he paid him the money. And then he signed the papers and he bought the church and he came to see me and he said, Preacher, I've always wanted to have a church in downtown Saginaw. A church there. We go into that area with our buses, but we're not in the downtown. I think there ought to be a church in the downtown. And I gave him my blessing. And he had already had the name picked out. The name he picked out was the Christ First Fellowship Baptist Church. And he thought, boy, I hope nobody else took my name. You ran down to the county and got that name registered. Boy, thankfully, nobody else had called themselves the Christ First Fellowship Baptist Church. And he fixed up that old building. I preached for him a couple times. He kept a notebook in the notebook every service. How many people came? How many people got saved? How much the offering was? Everything they spent the money on? How many times they went out? And how many people got saved when they went out soul winning? And every day, seven days a week, the Christ First Fellowship Baptist Church either had a church service or went out telling people the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, I should have told you. When he paid that money and then signed those papers and he walked into that building, 
It was the same church building about which they had said, you'll never darken the doors of this church again. They couldn't kick him out then. He owned it. It doesn't have to be permanent. The preacher is reading the book of Jeremiah. I just finished the book of Jeremiah last night. Did you know that uh, all through the book of Jeremiah, there's opportunity for the people of God to miss the captivity? The whole business in chapter 18 about the potter's house. At what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up and pull down and destroy it. If that nation against whom I have pronounced these things turn from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. It doesn't have to be permanent. They visited our church. I drove out in the country, a little town called Millington, to see him. And Larry and Carol Owen told me their story. Larry Owen was a crook. Went to Jackson State Prison for burglary. Somebody gave him a New Testament and he held it outside the bars of his cell and read it by a security light. He was reading through the gospel and he came to the verse where there was a thief and he said to the Lord Jesus on the cross, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Larry Owen said, you got a lot of guts. You're a thief just like me. God's not going to take you. And then he read the words, today, Thou shalt be with me in paradise. And he prayed this prayer. He said, Lord, you took that thief. Will you take this one? He got out of jail. He went to Bible college. He helped start a church in Alaska. Today it's the largest independent Baptist church in the state of Alaska. He started a church in Otisville, Michigan. He pastored it. Larry Owen was married to one of the most negative women in the world. Her family said you'd give her a Christmas present. And before she opened it, she would say, I'm not going to like it. He told the story like this from our pulpit. One day she told me to leave the house once too often. So I did. But I took somebody else with me and broke up another home. Larry divorced his wife and married Carol. And in a bizarre twist, Carol's ex-husband married Larry's ex-wife. I did a funeral for the son of Carol and her husband. It was the first time in 20 years those four people had been in the same room together. And he told me the story and he said, Would you let us come to your church? And I said, Of course. The church is a spiritual hospital. We don't kick the sick people out. You're in a place that loves you no matter what you've done. And there is a God who loves you and wants to forgive you no matter what you've done. There is a book that says that your sins be as scarlet. They shall be white as snow. They'll be red like crimson. They shall be as wool. And the world may never forgive you. And your enemies may never forget. But God removes your sin as far as the east is from the west and remembers it no more. It doesn't have to be permanent. Larry Owen became one of the best members First Baptist Church of Bridgeport or any church has ever had. He wrote a tract about his salvation, the man in cell number such and such. In a very unusual turn of events, though he was a convicted felon, he got permission to go into the jails, and he went to the jails every week and preached the gospel. 
He came soul winning every week. He drove a long distance to come to church, but he never missed a single service. The last year of his life, he gave 51% of his modest income, never missed a Sunday morning, never missed a Sunday night, never missed a Wednesday night, never missed a soul winning time, never missed a service in the jail, gave testimonies. Our people loved to hear him. He'd preach on New Year's Eve with a couple other laymen and was always a tremendous blessing. The little kids came by and hugged him and called him grandpa, and he gave them candy. Larry Owens said, when he joined the church preacher hope the most trouble I ever cause you is the day you have to bury me and that was no trouble but he was right about that he got cancer it, it was treated he got a little better it came back and he said preacher if this is cancer again I don't think I'm going to do anything I'm 70 years old what's wrong with going to heaven and one of the finest men in our church he had a messed up background messed up twice but it wasn't permanent I could tell you more stories, but I think you get the point. We never intentionally depart from truth. We just neglect some things and let some things slip. 